great day, comrades. We sail into history. Totally football show, totally at the World Cup. Sticker albums completed, check. Wall charts ready, check. Generically uplifting theme song by Will Smith, check a It's almost time, and here comes the first of three special shows previewing the summer's action in Russia. Now he cannot stop. Taking part, Sasha Gurionov, Russian sporting and cultural ambassador, Michael Cox, author of The Mixer and the man behind ZonalMarking.net, Matt Stanger from the Totally Football League show and all sorts of other places, and Tom Williams, author of Do You Speak Football? Woohoo! Hello, everybody. Hi. Hello. Hello. Are you pumped, Tom Williams? I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I'm currently a bit anxious because my TV has stopped working <gasps> and the repairman can't come round before the 13th of June, which is a lot closer to the first day of the World Cup than I would like. Yeah. So that, that's undermining things. But that aside, I'm, I'm, I'm getting pumped. Tom, buy I'm a new one. Inflating. Buy a bigger one. That's what everyone has said. Yeah. There's been no sympathy. It's just, we'll just buy a bigger TV. This yeah. is when fate gives you a broken TV, then you go and buy a bigger one. Do TVs right. get repaired? This one is, okay. allegedly... So Keep us updated. I will. Stay tuned. OK. In other news, the World Cup will be starting, as you say, in, in, I mean, for us as we record this, I think only eight days now. Crikey. Are you expecting a good one, Matt Stanger? I am. I'm very excited. Uh, not so much for the first game, Saudi Arabia against Russia, but after that, especially that first Saturday when it's four matches, that's going to be brilliant. What's the World Cup fever rating in Russia right now, Sasha? Because I remember previously you were saying that people weren't too fired up about it all. It's a bit mixed. The team... Is a disaster. The team is terrible. They they could be worse than South Africa, but the event itself, of course, uh, everyone's pumped for that now, and it's people are buying their tickets. Uh, people are talking about going to match. So as an event, yes. As a performance of the team, no. Right. It's it's awful. I mean, it's a bit like Tom with his TV breaking down just for the World Cup. You know, to go and have the worst team in your in your history just when you're hosting a World Cup. It's rotten luck. The thing is, this, this particular TV has been broken for about eight years. Oh, All right. <laughs> All right. Tom, what's a nice phrase for, I'm so excited for this World Cup, I might even watch Russia, Saudi Arabia? Uh, I, I scoured the planet for, for phrases of, of that ilk, and, right. and, and there, is, there is not a level of excitement that, right. uh, that, that, that is framed in a quote. There. OK. Well, we're going to be here throughout the World Cup. Every time there's game play, boom, we'll be there straight after with our thoughts and looking forward to the next day's action, all that kind of thing. So make sure you're with us. We've also got three special preview shows that will be out very, very shortly. Uh, Michael, we've actually already done one of the other ones, haven't we? I thought that was a secret. Well, we can share that. Okay, well, that who's, one was great. Let's, it was, let's see how this one goes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who, Based on what you've heard so far, who's your tip for the, for the title this time? Well, the team we're going to talk about today, actually, Spain, I think, are in excellent shape they've got the best goalkeeper they've got the best defense they'll control midfield as well as anyone and i think they've got enough attacking options that they will eventually prize teams apart maybe from the bench they've let us down in the last two tournaments anyone want to tell michael why he's wrong 
you got another team you'd like to throw at Personally, I think picking winners in a World Cup is a fool's errand. I remember the summer of 2002, I just, I think I just finished secondary school and we did a sweepstake and I got France and Argentina, who were the two pre-tournament favourites. And I remember just being absolutely made up because I was guaranteed that I was going to win the sweepstake and they both went out in the group phase. So um, it is, yeah, it's, it's hard to go. I mean, obviously Spain um, and Germany and Brazil, I think I'd, I'd put them all on roughly the same level. Sasha shot me with somebody I'm not expecting. I'm going to say Germany, something that you might be expecting, but for the simple reason of they just outsiked everyone. A team that can drop Sané, I think no one else just needs to turn up anymore. Do you think that was an act of psycho? Was that was that mind games from? I think hashtag mind massive games. Yeah. Really? Wow, I hadn't thought of it that way, Matt. I'm going to agree with Michael, Spain, but I'm looking forward to seeing France, especially to uh, see Deschamps picks an attack. Yeah. I mean, Spain have got a great team, but France's squad, it's amazing. We'll talk more about France very, very shortly, but let's let's begin our roundup then with Group A. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, totally at the World Cup and in association with Paddy Power. That's right, Group A. Russia, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, Uruguay. Win this, well... You'll get whoever finishes second in that group with Spain, Portugal, Morocco and Iran. But if you come second, you probably get get Spain. But that said, winning this group should be relatively easy because it's got to be the easiest group in the entire tournament and maybe in the entire history of the World Cup. <laughs> <laughs> Russia, as Sasha's explained, are absolutely terrible. There's only one team with any form there, surely, any, any history. Either. It's Uruguay. Yeah, I mean, this is what happens when you have a host who isn't very strong. They're always seeded. Uh, as a you know, a top seed in Group A, so we had it in Euro 2012 and World Cup 2010. Group A often is, um, you know, a little bit of a warm up for the main action, if you like. Mm. Uruguay look good though, don't they? Up top, Suarez and Cavani. Mm. At the back, you've only got the centre back pairing for Atletico Madrid. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, they're they're a better footballing side than they have been in previous years as well. The midfield is more technical. It's not just about physicality and aggression. My slight concern about Uruguay is the fact that Suarez and Cavani are now at the stage where they basically have to play centre-forward. And I think when you look at what uh, Oscar Tavares has done at previous tournaments, he's uh, been very good at using different systems and players uh, in unfamiliar positions. So Cavani was happy running the channels to do a job. Suarez sometimes got put out wide. They had Forlan who could drop deep. I think they pretty much have to play 4-4-2 with these two players now. And I'm not sure that lends itself to Tavares' style of management. Right. Cavani's coming off a phenomenal season. I think it's 40 goals in 47 matches. Slight like asterisk, it was at PSG, etc. But am I right in thinking that he hasn't really turned it on on a World Cup stage before? Cavani, well, I think um, previously he's always been playing second fiddle or right. even third fiddle, um, as he was in, in 2010. But he top scored in qualifying. Okay. Um, and obviously a lot of big names in South American qualifying. Um 42 international goals, which is a decent tally, and Suarez has, has 50. Um, and as you said, coming off a very good season. And yes, you know he scores goals for fun at PSG, but obviously it's much better for a striker to be going into a tournament with a hatful of goals behind him than struggling for form. Well, um, that's true. Go on, Sasha. Uh, also, I think, you know, given the ease of the first three games, they can basically ease themselves into the tournament and basically get, get into the second round on the roll. And I think 
whilst it might be a limitation that the two up front on the playing centre forwards, they're going to be playing against some very ropey centre backs. So they kind of think it's just batter through and gain right. lots of confidence by scoring a bunch of goals in the group stage. How how far do you think Uruguay could go, Matt? Do you have a view on Uruguay? Yeah, I'm intrigued to see them. Like Michael says, I think it's a bit of a change in guard, especially in centre midfield. I saw them in 2011 actually at the Copa America, just after uh, that 2010 World Cup performance, and they won the Copa America that year. That was sort of the crowning moment for that generation. Something that I think is interesting is they've never beaten Spain or Portugal, so it, they could go out in the, the last 16. I mean, we'll talk more about that group very shortly, but you figure Spain and Portugal to go through. Although, who knows, Morocco and Iran, maybe not the pushovers a lot of people are thinking. What about Luis Suarez? Because he always comes up with something interesting from his World Cup experiences. <laughs> what, what do you think this time, Tom? I mean, who knows? I mean, the, the exciting thing from that perspective is that it's progressively got more controversial I mean, batting that shot off the, ham, off the line against Ghana in 2010, that was, you know, fairly controversial. Mm. Then he bit someone mm. in 2014. So maybe we are just building up to the conclusion of this glorious Luis Suarez triptych right. of, of madness. Um, wouldn't like to say. Something in the Copa America 2016 as well, where he was injured for that tournament. So he, he was left on the bench and uh, he was desperate to come on against Venezuela with, with Uruguay losing. And he had this massive hissy fit on the sideline where he was beating the dugout. Tobias said afterwards he didn't see it, but it really was histrionics from Suarez. Ah, uh-huh. wow. Okay. Oscar Tobias has got the world record for the most games managed at an international level with one team, yeah. yeah. It's 191 matches in charge of Uruguay. Yeah, that's incredible. And it goes, I think his first time was 1990, wasn't mm. it? Obviously, he hasn't been there all that time, but incredible experience. And uh, he's, he's really taken a kind of, he's overseen the whole development of the national team. And I, I think that's bearing fruit now with these technical players that are coming through. I really like Vecino, who's had a good season at Inter. I think he's uh, an upgrade on what they had before, which was just tacklers, basically. He's, yeah. he's got some ball-playing ability. So how far can they go, Michael? I think quarterfinals. I think they're a good team. But like I say... They used to depend really on on tactics and formation changes. I'm not sure that's possible now. Tom, your book, Do You Speak Football, features phrases from around the world of football. It does. Let's have one from Uruguay then. A couple from Uruguay. So there's uh, an expression which dates back to the 1928 Olympic final, uh, Olympic football final, uh, between Uruguay and Argentina in Amsterdam. uh, And the winning goal... um, a cross went into the box and Tito Borias shouted out to his teammate Hector Scaroni, Tuya Hector, meaning yours, Hector, nodded the ball down into his path. Scaroni slammed it home. Uruguay were the Olympic champions. And that phrase passed into common parlance as a way of inviting someone to finish off a task. So you'd say, Tuya Hector, it's yours, Hector. Off you go. Go and finish it off. Oh, brilliant. How nice. Now, also in the group are Egypt. And this is all about Mo Salah, no? I mean, Liverpool like a bit of Mo Salah, but Egypt's quite extraordinary. He netted 71% of their goals in qualifying, topping Africa's scoring charts in the process. Of course, that was before he picked up that injury or was given that injury in the Champions League final. What's the latest injury news? What are the prospects for the Pharaohs? Let's dial up Basil McDaddy, who's a Middle Eastern football expert and the man behind the Football Palestine blog. Hi, James. How are you? I'm very well. But more to the point, how is Mo Salah? Well, um, the World Cup hasn't even begun yet, and uh, I'm already exhausted. I think Egypt and the the Arab world, by extension, have been through an emotional roller coaster. Um, And just when we thought things were kind of settled between um, him and Sergio Ramos, uh, that medical examiner in Massachusetts came out and said uh, Carius actually suffered a concussion thanks to um, the, the elbow he received from, from Ramos. So 
the saga continues, but it's it's positive, and it looks like uh, Salah might not be ready for that first game against Uruguay, but he should be ready for the other two against Russia and Saudi Arabia. Basil, how big a hero is he in Egypt? I remember reading that he got, was it a million votes in the presidential election, despite not even being on the ballot? Yeah, yeah. So um, I think a lot of people realized that the uh, presidential election was a bit of a farce, so they spoiled their ballots. And up to a million actually voted for Salah. That makes him unofficially the um, runner-up in the Egyptian presidential election. He's so popular that uh, Egyptian fans have actually taken to um, social media like Facebook and conducted polls and asked ridiculous questions like, who's the best basketball player in the world? With two options being LeBron James or Mohamed Salah. And Mohamed Salah has been gaining 90% in these ridiculous joke polls. So he's incredibly popular. And, um, you know, I think he's always been a, a figure held in high esteem, but he wasn't always universally popular. And actually earlier this week, uh, a couple of um, uh, reporters who have actually been praising him have been exposed that, you know, a couple of years ago when uh, the military came back into power, uh, the likes of Mohammed Salah and Mohammed um, Abu Treka, who was, let's say, Salah's predecessor in terms of, of popularity in Egypt, were were actually kind of put down by the same commentators and and called out for their um, perceived support for uh, the previous regime. So uh, everybody loves him. And it's it's really hard to kind of find a comparison because he transcends sport. Uh, It's not just football fans, the entire country and really the entire region holds him in high regard because there hasn't been an Egyptian or really an Arab player to to do what he's done. This is very much like when we all kind of touch the TV to try and get Wayne Rooney's metatarsal better for for England. It's <laughs> yeah. a similar thing. Yeah. Okay. Um, with Egypt, Africa Cup of Nations finalists, so clearly no dummies. But if they're going to go into that first game without Salah, what, who else can we look to in that uh, Pharaoh's team to kind of pick up the slack? Yeah, that's sort of been the worry with Egypt. So, yeah, they were the finalists in, in 2017. Uh, didn't win it. And they, obviously, they have a habit of winning that trophy. They won it three straight times between 2006 and, and 2010. Um, the Egyptian public is disappointed in, in the manager, Hector Huber, because he's sort of taken the attacking ethos out of the team. So Egypt is a very well-drilled, organized unit, but they don't really attack with that many players. Uh, and the key players outside of Mohamed Salah are um, an Ahli midfielder by the name of Abdullah Saeed. He's sort of the attacking midfielder who pulls the strings. In Salah's absence, he probably will have... Um, Stoke City's uh, Ramadan Subhi uh, taking his place. The one player I would look out for to maybe make a move after this World Cup is um, the left winger, Kahraba, which is his nickname. It actually means electricity in Arabic. Uh, I'd say he's probably going to be the most potent attacking threat in Salah's absence. Right. When you talked about left winger with a nickname, I thought you were going to go Trezeguet there, Basil. So so Trezeguet uh, is the normal striker at on the left wing. Due to the fact that uh, there's a, let's say, a preponderance of the name Ahmed, Muhammad, and Mahmoud, um, and due also to the fact that Egyptians tend to not use the surnames, they tend to take their father's names, the Egyptian public resorts to nicknames um, such as Mido from a couple of years back to kind of differentiate them. So I, I guess when he was coming up, they they thought that he had a, he bared a resemblance um, to Trezeguet. I don't really see it. Um, and obviously, they don't really play the same position. 
But uh, yeah, so Trezeguet is also is also one to look out for and probably a player that's also going to feature quite heavily and that they're going to lean on quite heavily without Salah available for the first uh, game. All right, Basil, are they going to get out of the group, Egypt? I think so. I think so. Um, they've been a little bit fortunate with the draw. Uh, Russia and, and Saudi Arabia, I think, are at least on paper, not as good as Egypt. But you really, you never know. I think the, the problem with this Egypt team is that you you simply don't know how they're going to respond going a goal down. The team is set up in a very reactionary style. And if they do go down, you know, Cooper's going to have to kind of uh, convince the team to come out of its shell and attack. But they're really more comfortable um, in a reactionary stance. And, and maybe it suits them that they play uh, Uruguay in the first game with, without Salah so they can, they can set up like that. Uh, I think they will. I think they will. I think they're probably good enough to get a, a, a win against Saudi Arabia in that last game and pick up at least one point between the two games um, against Russia and Uruguay in the opener. Basil McDaddy. Tom, an Egyptian phrase, what is in the scissors and what is in the 90s in the Egyptian football argot? Uh, in the scissors refers to the top corner of the goal. Oh, yeah. Um, so what you might refer to as a postage stamp or top bins yeah. in the UK is known as in the scissors. So the, the post and crossbar are imagined to represent the blades I of see. a pair of scissors. Okay. Um, That's and an- Phil Macass. Phil Macass, yes. Uh, and another one I came across... <laughs> Is uh, and this is this is not unique to Egypt. You hear this a lot in Arabic commentary, but it's oh, yeah. in the Egypt section of the book. But Ya Salam, which is something you hear a lot when you um, you're watching uh, highlights of a game uh, with Arabic commentary. Why would you be doing that? Occasionally they pop up on one's Twitter feed, right? Yeah. Uh, and I always wondered what it meant because you hear it, you know, say Messi's dribbling through a defence to score an amazing goal. Ya yeah. Salam, Ya yeah, Salam, and it just means oh, wonderful. There you go. There's the, the, mystery, there's the mystery solve. Okay. Matt, you recently saw Egypt in action against Colombia. That sounds fun. What did you learn? Well, it sounded fun, definitely, but uh, it was a nil-nil draw. Oh, Egypt that's... only had one shot on target. Oh, this is Hector Cooper all over, isn't it? It really was, and uh, they missed Mohamed Salah, certainly. Um, one thing that I thought was interesting was uh, they've been very solid defensively under, under Cooper, of course, but uh, they lost Falcao a couple of times uh, in the box, and I think that's the thing about Ahmed Hagazi, uh, which we saw at West Brom this season, is sometimes he's absolutely superb at the back, especially when he's won the wins against Spurs and Manchester United in the running, but other times he perhaps lacks a bit of concentration, and, and uh, I think that could be a worry for Egypt when they play Uruguay. Mm. But maybe not when they play Russia, who are, Sasha, arguably the poorest Russian team in the history of Russian football. Yes? Awful. Absolutely awful. They really are that bad then, are they? they it, it gets worse with every friendly they play. They played Turkey on Tuesday... They did the goal, but over the last two friendlies, uh, Russia have now uh, managed one shot on target, and the friendly <sighs> opposition were Austria and Turkey. To be honest, it is a disaster of unimaginable proportions. Um, it's been a waste of eight years. Poor appointment of managers, advocate followed by Capello. Sluski tried, failed, and then got in this Cherchesov guy, who's basically got a massive ego, a great self-publicist, um, gets other people to lobby for him, and that's, that's how he got the job. Unfortunately, if you look at what he did over the last two years, oh, my mind boggles. Um, we are several days before the World Cup, uh, and you can't even decide on the formation. They can't, it's, he, he's, he spent two years preparing 5-3-2, lost two centre-backs to injury, 
Um, and right before the tournament, last two friendlies, she tries to she tries to go to four at the back, which probably makes sense because Zhirkov can't really cover that whole left wing on his own. But Russia look absolutely incompetent now in all areas of play. On paper, they should have a decent enough midfield. They've got the Birenchuk twins who just won the legal locomotive, Kuzayev, Zobnin, Golovin, as you old guys, all of you know. Even Zagoyev is there. And Smolov is a pretty competent um, you know, forward these days. However, what we saw against Turkey was um, basically a church chest of screaming abuse at Smolov, who got worse with every piece of abuse he got. Couldn't even couldn't trap the ball, um, couldn't, couldn't do anything. And you look at this team and you think, what is the training? I mean, what is the communication? Why do these decent midfielders not know how to play with each other? So how do you approach the first game? Do you just pack your central midfield and central defense and hope for the best? Or do you try to go gung-ho with those midfielders who can't seem to be able to play with each other? Uh, it's, uh, it is absolutely appalling. Uh, I don't think there's any other word for it. I don't think anybody uh, really has any confidence in Chichesov anymore. I think the public has been conditioned to such an extent that, you know, a failure would get out to get out the group would be sort of an expected failure. I think if you if you ask around people who watch football, maybe two thirds of the people would think, yeah, we won't get out of the group. Uh, so yeah, it's it's pretty depressing. There was a chance that Chechesov could have been sacked uh, at the end of March 2017, when a poor run of results um, led to uh, his the wisdom of his appointment being questioned, and perhaps had uh, Russia lost the game, the friendly against Belgium and Sochi. Uh, in March 2017, he might have been sacked. Unfortunately, Alexander Bukharov got 92nd minute equaliser, so he didn't get sacked. Plus, Minulia had his usual mediocre game. So we have to thank those, du- those two dudes for uh, Chichesov remaining in charge. Um, but yeah, so there we are. Um, you know, before the tournament, you usually in different publications, you know, uh, they you know show you know proposed lineup and stuff like that. For Russia, I can't really even give you one. No one knows. It doesn't matter, does it? it and it doesn't really matter. Doesn't yeah, I don't matter. think yeah, that's, that's the whole problem. It doesn't matter. Um, Home advantage, though, Sasha. Yeah, I mean, yeah, great. <laughs> yeah, I've got two things to cheer you up. Tom's got some Russian phrases. And also, as Michael says, host nation, you've got Vladimir Putin in charge. There's no way you're not getting out of the group. James, unfortunately, I, I think you guys remember the 2002 World Cup mm-hmm. and the help that Korea got. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't even think that level of help would help this Russian team. Uh, it's, really? It's beyond appalling. Even a Byron Moreno wouldn't be enough to get... No, I, I, see, I don't think so, because they'll do an own goal or something, or do something stupid at the back. And right. I think the problem is as well, the opening game against Saudi Arabia, it's not a free hit anymore. They have to win it. And given the, the state they're in, I doubt they can win that. Are you saying you doubt they can beat Saudi Arabia? Yeah, currently, Tom, yeah. let's hear your Russian phrase quickly. Uh, I was going to go for Derevo, tree. Uh, which is the name for a technically inadequate uh, footballer, often uh, a tall, clumsy one, uh, so, such as the Berezutsky twins, who are not in the squad, but Sergei Ignashevich has been exhumed from international retirement at the age of 38 because of all the injuries they've got. So he's in the squad and he started the game last night. Uh, yeah, but again, he he hasn't played in that back line all this time. He got called up very late. But I would say that the term Dereva, uh, as in the tree, is more applicable to a forward. Of mm-hmm. The ball would bounce off him mm-hmm. um, and you expect to try him. So, But uh, Russia do have such a player. It's Artem Zuba. Uh, he is this massive centre forward who has fallen out of Chechesov in the past and now he's back in. But uh, I hope he comes on in the World Cup because I think he's. I love watching him play football. It's absolutely hilarious. <laughs> but um, he, he he can score goals and he's 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 a big personality, literally. Uh, but yet again, this is this is where Chichesov's problem lies. He can manage mediocre players who would hang on to his every word. But once he gets someone a little bit more successful, uh, a little bit more about them, a bit more ego, a bit more experience. This is this ego versus ego. Chichesov just can't, can't handle it at all. And, you know, he keeps on banging on about winning the 
Polish title with Legia Warsaw. And, you know, he, he says it to addressing North, say, CSK Moscow players who've won the league, won the FA Cup, everything like that. Of course they're going to look at him going, and, you know, try to sort of block it out, basically. Mm. So, uh, yeah, jolly good. Looking forward to it. More phrases, Tom. Hey, here's one I like. What's ref on soap? What's that mean? Sudyanamilo. <laughs> uh, yes, I'm not, I, from what I understand, this is not something that you hear all that common these days. But in Soviet times, this would be shouted at uh, the referee. You're on um, soap. Basically means roughly translates as referee on soap, and it refers to the Soviet practice of culling stray dogs oh. and using their bodies to make cosmetic products uh, such as. Was soap. the suggestion was the official would be culled and made turned into a bar of soap? Yeah. That's also in relation to 1984. Remember the old horse? I think it was going to be taken away and made into soap as well. Right. Okay. Yeah. 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 Right. Well, let's hear a little bit more now about this Saudi Arabia team that Sasha's so worried about, aka the Green Falcons. On, on paper, they look like they might actually be worse than Sasha's tragic Russian side. What do you think? Well, they've had um, a lot of upheaval pre-tournament in that Bert von Marwick, the coach who led them to qualification, then left mm. to become coach of Australia. His replacement, Edgardo Bowser, didn't last very long um, and was replaced in turn by Juan Antonio Pizzi, um, who, from what I gather, has tried to make them a bit more of a, a ball-playing team. Okay. Um, the it's brilliant. He failed to qualify with Chile, but is going anywhere. But he's going anywhere. Team. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the Saudi, Saudi Arabian FA had this great idea of striking a deal with La Liga mm. to get nine Saudi footballers loaned to Spanish clubs in yeah, January. They're all the end local of the season, based players because they all play in Saudi Arabia. Yeah, great initiative. This group of nine players were sent to La Liga to gain experience and game time at the highest level, and none of them have really played, uh, so it hasn't worked out all that well for them. Nineteen minutes between them mm. this season. So how how did that work? They just rang up loads of Liga clubs and said, "We have a player." For a sum of cash, would you put him on your books? Yeah, I, th- I think La Liga, I think the league itself played a role in that they're quite keen to attract fans and sponsors from Saudi Arabia. Right. So it's sort of a you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours arrangement. But the scratching has not been entirely even-handed. That Saudi Arabian market is such a huge one, isn't mm. it? Um, Matt, it says here that you've watched a fair bit of Saudi Arabia. What level are we talking about here? I watched them against Peru when they lost 3-0. Uh, they looked pretty poor it has to be said in that right. game they're pretty disorganised they've got a, a forward Fahad Al-Mawalad who usually plays on the wing for them but he started as a lone striker didn't really get any service uh, Wolves legend Wolves fans will remember him Sami Al-Jaber who scored in three World Cups of Saudi Arabia he described Mawalad as uh, our Messi and then added, although obviously not as good. Yeah. So uh, he's someone that could perhaps be uh, a threat on the counter-attack. And then there was one player actually who made a performance of note in La Liga, Salem Aldassari, who's uh, another winger. He came on for Villarreal when they were losing 2-0 to Real Madrid and actually helped to uh, inspire a comeback. Oh. Uh, Villarreal joined 2-2 in the end. All right, that's Saudi Arabia. Thanks for that, Matt. Who's going through from the group? Michael? Uruguay and Egypt. Matt? Uruguay and Egypt. Tom, Uruguay and Egypt. Sasha, Uruguay and Egypt. No way! Wow. Look, I, th- I think the one thing that Russians, off again. In, in terms okay. of being a home team, yeah. maybe the yeah. players will just play it out of the skins and pull so- pull something miraculously out. But I can't see it. It'd be good for the tournament if they win that opening game. Just you know, yeah. gives everyone a lift. If, if everyone's going to watch that game, <laughs> anyone's, everyone's going to watch, gonna watch, watch the opening game. The only place you could put that fixture. Oh, fortunately, oh. apparently, you're not going to be suffering through a massively long opening ceremony because oh. apparently they're going to make it. They haven't revealed too much, but they want to make it quite compact. No pitbull, no party. <laughs> Speaking of music, have a bang on this from one of the countries we're about to go to with Group B. <laughs> Je suis un démon magnifique, ça sera toujours nous les coupons. 
Coupable d'être africain, coupable comme Kadhafi ou comme Nelson Mandela. Yeah, Gorilla by Soul King. That's right, Michael. It is Moroccan hip hop. Morocco being very much. Did you like that, by the way? Yeah, it was nice. Yeah. All right. It's a good beat, which is what Morocco might get actually in this group because <laughs> it contains Iran, who are a tough bunch, physical, yeah, mm. and also Spain and Portugal. Yikes! This one looks like a, a tough group. Michael, you have said. They might be, they being Morocco, the most underrated side coming into this competition. Why? Well, I think when people look at outsiders, they generally focus too much upon who's got good technical players, who's good going forward. Really, if you're an outsider and you're going to get to the quarterfinals, you need to keep clean sheets. And Morocco kept clean, uh, six clean sheets in six qualification games, which posed pretty well. Didn't concede um, a single goal in qualifying. That's another way of putting it, yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm um, just emphasising. It's <laughs> yeah. such a remarkable stat. <laughs> um, I mean, they're hampered by the fact they're in such a strong group. Yeah. Um, but they are good defensively. I think they've got some good counter-attacking speed. They've got attacking options. Um, I like the fullback pairing. I think they over, seem to overlap well. Mm. Um, so I think they're going to be tough to beat. Whether they get out of the group, I'm not sure. But I think a side like Portugal, who are struggling a little bit in terms of their attacking play, I find them a little bit slow. Um, I think Morocco will be able to put 10 men behind the ball and frustrate teams, basically. OK, they've got Uvi Renard in charge now, excitingly. Yeah. Always in a crisp white shirt. I think it's probably the best-dressed manager. Yeah, I'd suggest they might have won that, that trophy already. White Cambridge shirt, United have never had a better pants. dress manager than. Herbie did he? Renard. Did he dress like that when he Didn't was? Really uh, I can't day. imagine you get away with a white shirt and uh, and uh, sockless <laughs> shoes uh, on the bench at the Abbey Stadium, but well, he, uh, I might be wrong. He certainly has worn that white shirt in his spells with Zambia and the Ivory Coast, with whom he, with both of whom he, he won the Africa Cup of Nations. He is Irvi Renard, and uh, his his squad contains not just the football. You also got who in there? Medi Benatia. Roman Saiz out of Wolves, Matt, um, and a player everyone's excited about who I knew nothing about except for the plays for Ajax. He's 25 years old and he's just finished with the most assists in the Eredivisie for the second consecutive season. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Hakim Ziyech, which may or may not be how you say that. It might be Ziyech. Do you know him, Tom? People will remember him perhaps from Ajax's run to the Europa League final. Okay. Uh, in 2017, uh, very talented uh, attacking midfielder, left-footed, likely to line up on the left-hand side alongside Younes Belonda. Could have played for Holland. I think he might have played for Holland at youth level, but ended up representing Morocco. And yeah, he's there. He's the real danger man. I think he's the guy that they're that they're looking to um, to really make the difference. They've also got Younes Belonda, um, who won the league with Montpellier in right. 2012. Really classy playmaker. Um, don't have much in the way of striking options, but I think that's quite a common theme in this tournament that right. you, you have there's quite a few teams on this sort of level who are built from the back very well organised um, have attacking talent in in wide areas don't have all that much uh, through the middle and I, I think you know to, to echo what, what Michael said I think Morocco are we're unfortunate with the draw because I think in a with a slightly more clement draw they you know that you might well have been tempted to put some money on them to get through. Mm. Uh, I think they are the sort of team who could cause Portugal problems, but obviously they, they won't be won't be favourites to go through. Have you got a Moroccan football phrase for us, Tom? Uh, I do. Uh, there's an Arabic phrase, Kawiyaf Amra, which I've probably completely mangled, uh, which means one empty, one full, and it's the name for a double step over. One empty, one full. One full. Mm. Well, one of the teams that the Atlas Lions will have in their sights, of course, are Portugal. Joining us now is Carlos Santos, who's a Portuguese football expert from Smart Odds. Hi, Carlos. Hello, everyone. Nice to be here and thank you for your invitation. Not at all. Delighted to have you uh, there to explain to us all about 
The Portuguese chances, and particularly, how much tension is there, Carlos, about your opening fixture with Spain? There's, there's high expectations for this match, uh, not only because uh, we're coming from um, the, the Euro title, but also because uh, Spain isn't in the best of the places and Portugal has the best in the world right now. People are hoping for a good, a good result against Spain, but it's clear that Portugal does, wasn't made for opening matches in uh, international tournaments. And I don't think this is going to be different. It, it, I'm not counting on a very good performance. Uh, Two, the, the team won't be in sync, in fully sync yet. At least that's that, that's what I'm going for because there has been, there have been some uh, some tactical experiences in the in the last friendlies like in Tunisia against Tunisia for example the the two two where, uh, where Fernando Santos just chose to go with the four three three but now he went back to the four four two and now Ronaldo is back and uh, yeah when I look back at your 2016 I think of Portugal winning without actually being all that good and then I look at this Portugal team and it feels like most of the players are not in quite the same form that they were back then. The one exception being Ronaldo himself, who's just got better and better. Exactly. I totally agree with you. Uh, if we look if we look from, from back to front, uh, I'm sure that you guys are aware of what's going on in Sporting. And Rui Patricio, despite a very good season, he's going through a very rough patch right now with the club. Then we have the defence. I think Cedric has a couple of years more in his legs. Uh, but we have Ricardo, who just signed for Leicester as a, as a backup, which is a, which is great. And we still don't know who's going to start in that right-back position. But then when you get, when you get to the centre-backs, then it gets bad. Pepe is the best and by far the best the, the best centre-back of the national team right now. But when you look at the backups, you have Fonte, who, when he turns... I mean, he's good uh, a, a good centre-back positionally, but... Right now, we're starting to see that his speed really doesn't compensate for his aggressiveness anymore. So our our defense just isn't the same as it was in Euro 2016. And I can te- I can say the same about João Mario, who was in shape in 2016, and now it doesn't look like it. We can say the same about João Moutinho, although he, he proved to be in good shape lately. We don't even know if he can last the 90 minutes. You, I, I have to agree with you there, but at the same time, we also we can also see that the, the squad has very good backups. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Right, the Carlos Santos, who in his kind of amiable fashion isn't terribly positive about Portugal, and if it all goes wrong against Spain in the opener, could they find themselves playing catch-up against Morocco? We've talked about them. What about Iran, the lines of Persia? Carlos Quiros is in charge. You know, a bit like Morocco, they're incredibly stingy as well. How many clean sheets in qualifiers? Eight, nine. Nine in a row at one point. Wow. Qualifying. Wow. In 2014 at the World Cup, they were holding Argentina goalless until well, Messi scored an injury time. So, yeah, they're, they're a tough nut to crack. One word of caution, though, Matt Stanger, they've only won one match in four previous World Cup finals. Hmm. Yeah, and uh, like you say, they, they only got one goal at World Cup 2014 as well, despite holding... I didn't say that, but that's impressive, oh, yeah. D- despite uh, that game against Argentina where they played really well and it was a, a 91st minute strike by Lionel Messi that, that settled that game. Uh, it looks like they're going to line up quite similar to Quiroz um, this year as well, very defensively, looking to play on a counter-attack. They've got one winger to watch out for, Arireza Jahambach, which uh, I'm sure I've tortured his pronunciation there. No, Jahambach. 
If he gets into a scuffle with another player, I wonder what the commentators will say. <laughs> he's, uh, he's a bit like Zayek, uh, who Tom was discussing, um, doing really well in the Eredivisie in Holland. Uh, was the top scorer, actually, in that league this year. Okay. 21 goals, 12 assists as well. Uh, wow. He can go on either foot, good shooting from distance, sneak through balls. He looks like quite a, an exciting talent for, for Iran in attack. Very nice. OK. Oh, Sasha. So the, I think the Russian public will be keeping an eye out for uh, Serdar Azmon. OK. Uh, centre-forward. Uh, he's been knocking about the Russian league for the last few seasons, usually following around Kurban Berdev, who seems to like him a lot. He's 23 now. I think he needs to make that breakthrough and possibly move somewhere in, in, in one of the Western leagues because it's getting to a stage where he's very, very promising, very promising, very promising, but he needs to make the next step up. Perhaps the World Cup is his chance. Perhaps so. A great shot window for the 23-year-old who counts 23 goals in his 31 appearances so far for the Lions of Persia. The okay. Messi, as he is apparently known. Is that right? Yeah. Give us an Iranian phrase from your wonderful book, Do You Speak Football? Uh, an, an Iranian phrase for you is... Um, uh, grass rolling, which is obviously an English phrase, this is something that came from uh, Iranian football message boards and it refers to diving and more specifically what follows a dive when a player is sort of writhing around in mock agony. So they actually say in English, grass rolling. Grass yes. rolling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So might might see a little bit of that in their game against Portugal if, uh, <laughs> if, if Ronaldo takes a, Ooh, takes a kick or not. Right. Or maybe in their game against Spain. All right. Let's talk about the Spanish to round off Group B. Disappointed that the last two tournaments went out in the group stage at the last World Cup, last 16 of Euro 16, when possibly they were suffering from their post-Shavi Blues. How are they now, Michael? Yeah, they're better than they were two years ago. I think Spain are the best team at the tournament. I'm amazed that they are not the favourites for this competition. Are they not? No, Brazil are, and then Germany, and then Spain are, are third favourites. They've got clearly the best goalkeeper at the tournament. They've got the best defence of the tournament. They control the game in midfield like no one else can. I appreciate that they don't have an out-and-out centre-forward. I think what we've seen over the last 10 years is that you don't really need a prolific goal scorer to win these tournaments. You need lots of options. You need sometimes a false nine. And Spain have got so many players that can come on, play different tactical roles. And that's what they did, you know, in Euro 2012 to a certain extent in World Cup 2010. Uh, I think they're the best team. All right. And they've, they've got Diego Costa, who's plan B as yeah. well, because people used to say, well, they, what are they, if your tiki-taka doesn't work, what are you going to do? Yeah, I mean, he's played better. He's played better in the last couple of years. Um, but I think the key thing is keeping clean sheets. Right. I mean, when Spain won three international tournaments on the bounce, people talk about their possession play. But from 10 knockout games, they kept 10 clean sheets. And I think they probably won't do the same again, but they'll, they'll come close. Right. Because destroyed Argentina 6-1 not so long ago. That was extraordinary. I mean, you don't see teams play like that in friendlies. And the game just before the 1-0 in Germany, the intensity of that game was quite incredible com compared to what we're used to in international friendlies, which are usually very slow. Mm. And I think the one thing that Spain have that pretty much only Germany have, maybe no one else has, is they press. We've become so accustomed to pressing at club level. But when you look at international tournaments, pretty much everyone just sits back inside their own half. The tempo's slow. It's not a very action-packed game. Spain will force the issue. They'll win the ball high up, and I think that will give them the edge. Right. They're completely to Italy apart, of course, in, in uh, the World Cup qualifying this time. I mean, you mentioned De Gea, and then you've, you've got such a spine in front of you. You've got uh, Piquet and Ramos in front of him, and then Busquets in front of them. It, and then all the flair up front, Iniesta yeah. still there, Isco coming into the picture, so many players. I think a really important player for them, actually, he's been an important player for them over the last six or seven years, is uh, Jordi Alba. Mm -hmm. Because they do have a lot of players who are, let's get the ball, let's play it sideways, let's assess our options. And Jordi Alba's just got incredible pace, and I think he's had a really good season for Barcelona. Mm. Sasha, I know there's a button you'd like to say about Sergio Ramos at this point, but if you could just confine yourself to tell me, who do you think is going to go through from this group? Uh, Portugal, Spain. 
Any chance, Tom, that maybe a Morocco could upset one of those sides? I'm going to say Spain-Morocco. Oh. Morocco win that opening game against Iran, which they're capable of doing. They'll and have a bit of momentum. Portugal are notoriously slow starters in tournaments, right. so maybe there's a possibility there. Spain beat upset. Portugal in the opening game. Suddenly it all gets very open mm. indeed. What do you think, Matt? I'm going to go for Spain-Portugal. Right, OK. And Michael? I think it's going to be really close. I think Morocco just ahead of Portugal. But I think it's going to be a really tight group. I think of all the eight groups, this could be the lowest scoring. Interesting. But maybe the most interesting because the games will be close. Yeah, perhaps so. Spanish football phrase, Tom, to wrap this up. How about La Croqueta, which is the name for Andres Iniesta's trademark skill move, where he shifts the ball very quickly from left foot to right or right Mm -hmm. foot to left to squeeze between a couple of defenders. And that means a croquette. And the idea is that it resembles a chef um, frying a croquette on a hot pan and sort of flipping it from side to side. Yeah, just giving that little nudge left and right. A little nudge here and there. Very nice. Listeners, you're about to spend the best part of a month sat on the sofa. You've already signed up to one of those beer clubs, you order your pizzas on an app, so why not take all the hassle out of your shaving routine by buying your razors online too? That's where Harry's come in. Harry's blades are half the price of the leading five blades out there, and by selling direct to you over the interweb, they're around half the price too. Harry's blades are German-engineered, never a bad thing at World Cup time. Their razor handle is non-slip with a textured grip, so you'll be more like Manuel Neuer than Loris Carius, and their cucumber and aloe shave gel lathers into a luxurious foam, allowing those aforementioned German-engineered blades to glide across your face to make you look as handsome as Hamas Rodriguez, or at least Ronaldo. Because you listen to the Totally Football Show, you can get started with Harry's today by claiming your trial set for £3.95 and get it delivered right to your door. What's in the trial set, you ask? Well, that non-slip handle and your choice of blue, orange or green, a five-blade cartridge, the foaming shave gel and a travel blade cover. And as we said, it's all yours for just £3.95. Find out more at harrys.com slash totallyfootball. Hey, listeners, our friends at Classic Football Shirts, hello, will be screening every game of the opening 11 days of the World Cup, they've got themselves a bar and a pop-up store stocking international classics and rare kit designs. And get this, you can watch the games there, have a beer and buy a T-shirt at The Box in Hackney. Sasha, you're going to Russia, but if you weren't going to Russia, that's where you'd be, isn't it? Buying my Peru shirt. Exactly. Have you not got it yet? Not yet, not. All right. Um, It's the usual address, classic football shirts. Mark for Sasha. Facebook.com stroke classic football shirt is the address to find out all the information you're keen to find, Michael, on that event or series of events at the box. Oh, in other classic football shirts news, we are giving away some international kits, including a 2006 Messi Argentina shirt and a 2018 Iceland home shirt when the Totally Football Quiz returns. When's that? Apparently at the halftime of every England group game. Special World Cup editions of the quiz, halftime in England Games questions, powered by Opta. Now, you stay with us this long, listeners. Hang about a bit more as we tackle Group C, featuring France, Australia, Peru, and the land of this bit of music, Denmark. That is Sipa by Bro means southwards apparently so that's what they're listening to in Denmark when they're not watching the football but you don't care do you Sasha you just want to talk about Peru brilliant story back in the World Cup for the first time in what 36 years wow. a qualifying ahead of the hated neighbours and rivals Chile they haven't lost in 14 uh, since losing to Brazil in November 
2016. They haven't lost in 14 games? In 14 games. Because they kind of got through on a technicality, didn't they? After was it Bolivia that fielded? Yeah, so Bo- in... Bolivia fielded an ineligible player um, against uh, Chile and mm. uh, Peru. Mm-hmm. But uh, Bolivia won against Peru and drew against Chile. All right. So basically, vis-a-vis after, this, after the whole thing got reviewed and the two teams got 3-0 wins... Peru actually gained the point, yeah, and they beat. They qualified for the playoff against New Zealand uh, on goal difference ahead of Chile, right? Uh, and when they beat New Zealand, uh, Francisco Bazan, the former goalkeeper commentator for Goal TV, dedicated the World Cup qualification to Chile. Wow. Um, I mean, this historical rivalry there. There's been wars, and they generally, you know, it's it's the neighbor they like to dislike, effectively. Um, but also, uh, there's been the controversy around Captain Guerrero, uh-huh. uh, who got suspended for. Uh, cocaine uh, yeah. after testing, which he says was from coca tea. Coca tea, and yeah, so is that readily available? Coca tea, I've not seen that. I am yeah. not sure. Yeah, is it? Yeah, okay, yeah. I don't know whether it's a legitimate excuse. But so I mean, because, whatever well, it FIFA was, FIFA say it is because they've allowed yeah. him back in. They've lifted the suspension. He came back to play against Saudi Arabia, mm-hmm. scored two goals, and the man who came on for him in that game, Jefferson Farfan, is a big ferret in Russia. He, given that he just won the league with Lokomotiv, and it was his purple patch. Uh, at the end of 2017, which I found absolutely astonishing, he suddenly scored in six, over the course of about six weeks, he scored 11 goals in 10 games for club and country. Wow. And Hitting the tee, probably, wasn't he? <laughs> probably what he was having, what Guerrero was having, yes. Yeah, and, uh, yeah so he's, uh, he's been a really, really great story. And wow. I'm just excited, and I think it's a great kit with a sash. And I think it is a group as well, which we were talking about Group B before, maybe low scoring. I think this one looks like possible, like a group of fun. Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, it sounds like it. Peru. They were they were in bits about you. Know, finally, as you say, making it to the World Cup after thirty six years, and then they lose their biggest star, Guerrero. But and, and they were all wearing t shirts when they played uh, Scotland, uh, supporting that their missing captain. Excellent. Does everybody else share Sasha's enthusiasm for Peru? Um, yes. <laughs> That's good. Did no. you say no, Michael? Oh, boo. No. Here we go. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Why not? I mean, they could be very exciting. They've got a lovely kit. That's undeniable. Mm. I mean, you look at their record, they kept two clean sheets in 18 qualifiers. Some of those qualifiers against pretty rubbish teams. Um, they are very good going forward. They've got a great front, uh, front four. But, um, you know, as I said before, I think people get carried away with, oh, they've got a couple of good technical players. You need to keep clean sheets. I don't think they're going to do that. I think they're going to get done on the counter-set by Denmark, certainly mm. by France. Probably not by Australia, but um, I'd fancy Denmark over Peru to go out of this uh, to get through from this group. It does look like quite an open group. This beyond France, so I think most people, I think every, all, all of us would say you've got France going through, and then it's one of Australia, Denmark, or Los Incas. Uh, what about Australia's prospects then? Um, Under our old friend Bert van Marwijk. Yeah, I mean, they're really not a very good team, to be honest. Australia, they struggled through an incredibly long qualification process. I think the longest in the history of the World Cup. Um, 22 games? Yeah, incredible. I mean, 10 years ago, it seemed like, you know, Australia had really progressed as a footballing nation, but it, it feels now like that was a, a kind of great generation they haven't quite replicated. I think the one thing to say is that they've got some good midfielders. I mean, Yedinak, we know very well, is a, is a great battling defensive midfielder. Aaron Moyes had a very good season. The pasty Pirlo, as apparently they call him in Huddersfield. Uh, great stuff. Yeah. Uh, Luongo could come in as well. He's mm-hmm. um, got a good record at international level and is the kind of player they need because I think they're going to need battlers rather than technical talents. Got to love Matt Ryan and goal. Yep, he'll be busy. And Tim Cahill on the bench. Oh, crikey, at they the have right still. old age of 38, set for his fourth World Cup and could become only the fourth player to score at four different World Cups. Wow. That you want to have a go at naming the others or should I just put it out of your measurement? Okay, go on. No, so are you saying how many people Three have Three players have scored at four different World Cups. Pele? Correct. Uh, Uwe Sela? Uwe Zela, correct. Closer? 
Correct. Brilliant question, Tom. Nice. Thank you. Very nice. Okay, so Australia, yeah, not so much. You put them even lower than Peru, would you, Michael? Oh, yeah, yeah, Peru, better team than Australia. Okay, yeah. what about Denmark then? Denmark, of course, Irish fans know all about after their playoff. 5-1 they beat them in, in Dublin. And of course, the star that night, and quite possibly the, the star of their tournament, Christian Eriksen, who bagged 11 in qualifying. And we're expecting big things from Christian Eriksen at this World Cup. Yes, uh, I mean, he's, he's obviously their star player. Their coach, Arga Herida, has, has made it clear that uh, the team is very much built for Ericsson. Mm. Um, we saw his form in qualifying, 11 goals culminating that, in that hat-trick against Ireland in the playoffs and coming off the back of another really, really uh, impressive season at Tottenham. Um, and in a Denmark team who are unbeaten in 13 games, uh, you know, going really well. Um, and yeah, as, as Michael said, I, th- I think you'd you probably back them to go through behind France. Good players scattered throughout the lineup, really, you know, from Kasper Michael at the back, uh, some Kiar, Andres Christensen, Delaney of Werder Bremen, Pioni Sisto, who a lot of people are very excited about, a uh, 23-year-old Ugandan-born winger, Celta Vigo. Has anyone seen, have you seen much of him, Matt? Yeah, I've seen a bit of him. He scored twice against Manchester United in the, the Europa League a couple oh, of years yeah. ago before moving to Spain. Nine assists in La Liga this season. Only four players managed more, and uh, yeah, he's got quite quite a bit of pace and trickery. Uh, I think it looks like Denmark will probably play those two wingers, Sisto and Poulsen, quite wide to create that space for Eriksen in the middle, and uh, and they could certainly be a threat. Okay, Danish phrases, Tom. Danish phrases. How about catpot? Or catapot right. meaning a cat's paw, and that's to describe a particularly uh, technically refined creative player. You might say, "Oh, he's got a he's got a cat's paw." Because cats so are so dexterous, the aren't they, with balls? Yeah, and they're sort of velvety, velvety claws, velvety yeah paws. I was going to say feet. They don't have feet, do they? Cats. It'd be weird if cats had feet. They have paws. Paws. I think the paws are the one thing of a cat that isn't that graceful, actually. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure that mm. I, I I regard their their ball they're controllers. Very, like, no, yeah. they're very dexterous though, yeah. cats. Are they though? Oh, you see a cat playing with like playing with a ball or toying or a toying with a mouse that's yeah. on the verge of death and it's just sort of mm. pouring it around like yeah, a, like a, like a football player. Don't let our cats toy with my mice. It's just a bit gross. Mm. It's got to let nature take its course, Ash. Well, indeed. Now, sadly going to have to curtail the, the the cat conversation right now and move on to the other team in Group C and it's France. Should they be favourites? Julien Laurent thinks so. Here he is saying that and more to producer Ben. I think it's a very nicely balanced uh, squad that Deschamps picked. It's probably the best squad we've had since 1998 when France won the World Cup. There's obviously players like Kylian Mbappé and Ousmane Dembélé who were not there two years ago. It's their first big tournament, Thomas Lemar as well. You've got the right amount of experience. You've got the right amount of youth. Uh, you've got Paul Pogba, who says he wants to become the boss of this team, which is very good because in the last four years, they lacked a bit of leadership at times, so hopefully he can provide that. So, yeah, very happy. So we've had this incident a few weeks ago, Jules, with Adrian Rabiot throwing his toys out the pram. Um, is there any danger of a 2010-style meltdown here from the French team, which was enormously fun to watch from the outside, but uh, I imagine not much fun for you? No, I don't think 2010 can happen again. Certainly not this year. I think Deschamps... One has a far healthier squad and group of players than he was in 2010 when it was really toxic, even from inside the camp. Then the relationship between the squad and Deschamps is far better than the relationship at the time between Dominic and the squad. They're happy together. You know, they're really happy together. They were disappointed after 2016 to lose the way they did in the final. 
but they're very happy together and I think they're looking forward to going to Russia, they're looking forward to competing and the harmony is better, the togetherness is much better and it's a real squad, it's a real team, it's a real team, that's what Deschamps has built, he's built a real team and with the talent they have, you know, this, this should be their time. And it's a pretty easy group, Australia, Peru, Denmark, what's the, what's the minimum you're expecting Jules? Um, the, the objective, the, the official objective from Deschamps and from the, the Federation is, is the semi-final. And I think that's fair. I, I expect them to win it. I think they are good enough. They have everything to win it. Yeah, okay, maybe Spain and Brazil are still a little bit better and, and France might just be a, a little under those two. But I think they have the potential to win it. I think people are excited by this team and I think rightly so, they should. You know, if you look at the team that should start, if you have Lloris in goal and then Sidibe, Varane, Umtiti and Mendy at left back, I think that's a pretty impressive back four. And then let's say you play in a 4-4-2 formation, then you'll have Pogba and Conte and you'll have Dembele and Mbappe on the side and then Griezmann and Giroud. It's a very attacking team. Then Deschamps can move into a 4-3-3 when, when things get tougher because... The group is, is an easy group and it's a group that will enable them to go from strength to strength. So instead of like, you know, facing a tough team straight away, you, you don't have to be 100% straight away. You can be just 70%, that would be enough. And then you get to 80%, that's enough. And then when you reach the knockout stage, when things get tougher, then that's where you're 100%. And you haven't, you haven't used too much energy, you're just ready at the right time. And I think that's what this group is going to help them do. Do you want to hear something scary? We talked about mind games with Leroy Sané early on. These are some of the players Deschamps has not brought to the tournament. Karim Benzema, Kingsley Coman, Dimitri Payet, Laurent Koscielny, Alexander Lacazette, Moussa Dembele and Anthony Martial. And are they going to miss them? Is their squad good enough that they're just going to sail on? They've got a really good squad, but unfortunately for France, it's a team game. Um, Ooh, and uh, Deschamps doesn't really know his system. You know, Pogba needs a 4-3-3. Griezmann wants a 4-2-3-1. Um, and that was their problem with the Euros two years ago. I know they got to the final, but had they sorted out that problem, they probably would have absolutely kicked Portugal, who, as we've mentioned, uh, were not a great team. Um, I'm really excited to see France. I think they're one of the most exciting teams of the tournament. But I do think against the first kind of tactically disciplined, organised team, they'll probably be second best. I've got Benjamin Mondi coming back into the picture. Sorry, Tom. There are, there are signs that they're getting there, tactically. Um, I mean, obviously, we saw how well they played at Euro 2016. Um, and an awful lot of really exciting players have emerged since then. Kylian Mbappe, Ousmane Dembele, Thomas Lamar. Um, and the feeling all the way through qualifying was that Deschamps didn't know how to fit them all into his team. And what we've seen in, in the last couple of friendly games mm. against Ireland and Italy was that uh, he's reverted back to a three-man midfield, which, as Michael was saying, is, is what Paul Pogba prefers. Um, and then he's got a slightly more fluid front three where Griezmann plays with Mbappe um, and then either Olivier Giroud who Griezmann really enjoys playing with, mm. or Ousmane Dembele, who obviously gives you a very different outlook with his pace and his trickery. Um, I, I feel like that is the one big selection issue facing Deschamps, whether he picks Dembele or Giroud to complete that front three. And I think that will be determined by the opposition. I think Australia in the first game, big physical team, he'll probably go Giroud and then perhaps Dembele f for the other matches. Um, Pogba coming under a bit of pressure um, particularly from Corentin Tolisso mm. didn't have a fantastic first season at Bayern Munich but who's been absolutely brilliant every time he's played for France uh, I suspect Pogba will start but the form of Tolisso the fact you've also got Matuidi and Golo Conte means that there is there is competition there and, and Pogba got whistled um, when France beat Italy the other day in yeah, Nice Yeah, what was that about? France hadn't, hadn't played 
brilliantly. The second half, as often in, in friendly games, endless raft of substitutions, all the temper went out of the match and it, it, it became a bit of a, a boring spectacle. Pogba didn't play brilliantly. He wasn't absolutely dreadful, but it was the sort of performance that we're used to seeing him produce for, for Manchester United. He gets on the ball a lot. He doesn't always use it all that well. Um, there's a lot of showy touches, things that don't come off and... That was it. I mean, it was no more than that, really. It, it wasn't like the entire ground were, were booing him. There was just a, a flurry of, of dissent. Um, yeah, Deschamps likes him, trusts him, uh, picked him all the way through the Euro. Um, he will start the tournament, but I think the, the form of Tolisso does mean that there is now an option there, um, which perhaps there wasn't before in terms of a Pogba replacement. Are they one of the real contenders along with Brazil, Germany, Spain for the title? In terms of the, the talent and the ability, uh, they're on a par with those teams, but again, I as Michael was saying, I think that you know they're not yet as, as coherent a team as those three. So I'd put them a little bit below on a sort of little separate plinth of their own for the I time see. being. I see. All right, so Group C, they're going to go through as group winners. Who's going through with them, Tom? I'd say Denmark. Denmark. Sasha. I'm going to go France and Peru. Just France because. and Peru. Matt. Yeah, I think France and Peru as well. We, we talked about the need to keep clean sheets and uh, Peru beat a full-strength Croatia side with Mandzukic, Rakitic, Modric, 2-0, and they were excellent in that game. So I think they could be a serious force. There you go. And Michael, just France and me. Denmark for me. France and Denmark. That's Group C. Let's get the odds on all that kind of thing from Paddy Power with producer Ben. Thank you, Jimbo. I've got Lee Price from Paddy Power here in the studio with me. Lee, let's talk about Group A then with the odds. Russia. Hotly tipped to be the worst host nation of all time. What are the chances of them doing the Eurovision nil point <laughs> and no goals? Uh, well, they already are the worst home nation of all time, given the location of the tournament. But that's very political, sorry. No goals, no points. We make it 50-1. to 1, But I'm pretty sure our mate Vlad had a deal when arranging this World Cup. They'd get to at least a quarterfinal. So we'll see. Well, there is VAR as well, so some <laughs> controversy may may come into it. Now, uh, Mohamed Salah, he's fighting fit, we think. Can he be the top scorer? And also, can Egypt get to the quarterfinals? I would say double no. So Salah is out to 40-1 to one to be a top scorer for the tournament, and Egypt to reach the quarterfinals is around 5-1. to one. So you're looking at about 200-1 to one as a double. I think it's a real long shot. Let's move on then to Group B. Uh, Morocco, I quite fancy the look of them. Can they progress at the expense of Spain? Blimey, I'm not sure what you're fancying. If you do think they'll qualify, they're 3-1 to one to make it out of the group. If you combine that with Spain not to qualify, that's a huge 50-1. to one. But I think you're slightly mad. Well, let's go for something a bit more certain then. Uh, France, they've got a very easy group here. Um, can they get 10 goals in this group stage? Uh, I would say so. We reckon it's 7-1 to one they score 10 goals. They're amongst the leading favourites for this tournament. And rightly so, their arsenal of attackers is pretty impressive. But not an arsenal attacker, in there. Okay. <laughs> um, so what are the odds for them overall? They're weirdly, in my opinion, fourth favourites to win the tournament. So if you like them, get on them pre-group stage. Because as you said, they've got a walk in the park of a group. They're 6-1 to one to win the World Cup, but they're behind Brazil, Germany and Spain. You can find these odds and more at paddypower.com, 18plus only, begambleaware.org. And when the fun stops, stop now. We've got two more preview shows coming up for you. Looking at the other five groups, they're going to be with you very, very shortly. And of course, as I mentioned earlier, we're here every day during the World Cup, just after the final whistle of the last game. So make sure you join us then. You can also tweet us at The Totally Show with questions and comments. And you can find us on Facebook for videos, quizzes, competitions and more. Excellent. Good to have you on board for the World Cup. Many thanks to Sasha, to Tom to Matt and to Michael and you listeners we'll catch up with you soon
You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. Subscribe now and get the latest episode delivered right to your phone for free.